Uh, when I was four and a half, my mom and dad separated, and I went with mom, and she went and lived with this other man. He was actually not a very nice man, and I was often told just to sit on a stool. Don't move, don't say nothing, don't do anything. And then I really didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I was talking to God. I was praying at four and a half years old. That became very meaningful to me, okay? So that's my first recollection of, of talking with God and praying was four and a half years old. It's just something I've done my whole life. I also uh, started praying when I was little. Uh, my family went to church regularly. As a child, you just pray, but as you become older and become in a marriage, you realize that it's more than prayer. It's a relationship with God. And through our years, you know, we've had a lot of things that come up, praises, uh, challenges, and you just pray through them. When I moved into management, it was a lot of traveling and entertainment and things that come with living on the road. My life at home, Thursday night till Monday, was different, but then I'd get on the plane and go somewhere. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I had an entirely different lifestyle that I lived, and it didn't include prayer. Moved away from that close relationship that I once enjoyed when I was younger. As a result of some decision and choices I made, I had a very bad skiing accident. Skiing by myself and hit some black ice on the top of the mountain. I flew and fell 40 feet. When I hit this tree, the world went black to me. No noise, no sounds, no nothing. And then this voice says, Don, when are you going to stop? And I realize it's God, it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I said, God, I'll stop right now. As soon as I said those words, bright light, and I find myself <laughs> laying in the snow. Five broken ribs had punctured my lungs and I couldn't breathe. They uh, helicoptered me into University Hospital. I'm all alone now for two days in recovery. Just God and I, where we talked. Rather than say what I was doing, he made me aware of what I was missing, the relationship with him. And I was missing the relationship I should have been having with my family. When you pray for two days, Miracles happen. And then, what, on the second or third day, you showed up. I was never so happy to see anyone in my life as when she came into that ICU. When I got the call, it was kind of a shock to me. He was a good father and a good husband at home, so you didn't realize that while he's traveling, they do a lot of entertaining and the unknown of what I didn't know. But we talked through that, prayed through it a lot. Then you have God right there with you the whole time. She had so much grace, and it's because she prayed. That's probably when we started praying together. Before we eat dinner now, we pray for people that's on our hearts that have experienced struggles. And while they're different, they're really the same because it's the same hurt and it's the same healing, and we hope they find the same God that we found, someone full of grace and forgiveness. And, and we get to pray for them. And we get to pray for them.
Well, I also want to welcome you today. If we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here, and I appreciate you being here. Thanks for giving me the chance uh, to share with you today in the third message of this series uh, that we're calling Talking with God. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read both of these scriptures today, Matthew 6 and Philippians 4. Uh, These page numbers uh, correspond to the blue Bible that you have in the seat pocket in front of you, if you want to pull that out. At the very least, I would love for you to write down these two passages uh, for you to remember um, that I'm going to be sharing with you today. The other thing, uh, I meant to do this first, I forgot, men, I need to ask the men in the room for a favor. Uh, If you will do me the favor of either pulling out your electronic device that you brought with you because you just could not leave it at home, that would be crazy, uh, or just write this down. uh, If you got your device, pull up your calendar or write down November 3rd. November 3rd is Guy's Night Out here at the church, okay? Uh, I'll tell you more about it in a few weeks, but here's what I will promise you right now. Uh, it is an, it's a whole evening of things that guys love, and none of those things will get you in trouble with your wife or your mother, okay? So Guy's Night Out November 3rd would love for all the men of our church uh, to be here. Uh, if you are here, uh, ladies, and you have a guy in your life who is not here with you, uh, I want you to also write that down. Maybe, uh, maybe someone who you've been asking, I want you to come to church with me, but he's a little, I'm not sure, he'll love Guy's Night Out. So November 3rd, I'll tell you more about that in a few weeks, but I want you to get that uh, on your calendar. Uh, if there's one one word that I hope that you remember uh, in, the, in the weeks uh, previous to, to today, uh, as you think about prayer, the, the word would be relationship. You would think about prayer's relationship. You heard that in, in Don and Jerry's story, that prayer is about relationship. We've talked about prayer as God's way of building a relationship with you, uh, as we've thought about the goal for this series, this six-week focus of when we come to the end of it, you would feel more confident and capable talking with God, more confident and capable building a deeper relationship with God, uh, a specific kind of relationship. We talked about that last week, that it's more than just a partnership. It is a relationship in which we are inviting God to lead us and direct us into a new way of life, a a new way of living into our life. Uh, It's surrendering to God. That's why when you think about prayer, you have maybe a couple images in your mind of eyes closed and hands together, but also on our knees because the posture speaks to the the submission, the openness to God leading uh, our life. We we started uh, a few weeks ago with this with this question, how do I pray? We looked at Luke chapter 11, uh, what Jesus offers there to the disciples who essentially ask the same question. And there Jesus offers the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer that Tina messed up. And by the way, every pastor has done that before. Every pastor has done that in, the, in, in leading the congregation uh, in, in the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and yeah, this is how we pray. We share these thoughts with God. We share these words uh, with God. Today we're looking at a more specific question, uh, one that pastors are on a regular basis, uh, which is this one. Uh, and, and what goes in here in this blank is whatever is the most pressing need in your life. Uh, again, I often someone will come up and say that there's this thing in my life I, 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 I'm, I'm praying, about, but I, I need to know how do I pray about this? How do I pray for this? How do I pray that this house will sell? 
How do I pray for this new job that I'm hoping for? How do I pray for my friend who's going through this really difficult illness uh, and, and has received this very bad diagnosis? How do I pray about whatever fills that blank, whatever is the most pressing need uh, in, in my life? And, and up front, I want to tell you this. I can't really answer this question for you. So I'm just going to close in prayer and we're going to go home, okay? Uh, no, no, no. Here, here's why I can't uh, really answer the question, because what that looks like in your life is not the same as what it would look like in my life. Prayer is about relationship, and relationships are personal. Relationships are dynamic. The relationship that you have with God, that you are developing with God, is personal to you. It should not look like the relationship that I have, because we are each unique and different individuals. And God develops a relationship with us that is unique and different. So giving you 10 steps on how to pray about, you know, do this and this and this, that's not as helpful as what I hope to do, which is to provide you some principles, some ideas that may guide you in answering this question for yourself. So here's what I invite you to do first. I want to invite you just to think about today, right now, this morning, what is it that goes in that blank in your life? What is it in your life that you would say, this is the most pressing need that I have in my life. This is the thing that I want to pray about. Uh, I, I want to I seek God on. Because this message isn't about like, well, well, let's just be ready for when that happens in our life. That's always happening, right? We always have a need in our life. So what is it for you today? And if you struggle with thinking about what that might be, you might just imagine, imagine it this way. Imagine Jesus is standing right in front of you, eye to eye and heart to heart. And he looks you in the eye and he says, what can I do for you? And, and you, in hearing Jesus ask that question, you can tell he's serious. He really wants to know, what can I do for you? Whatever your answer is to that question, that's what goes in that blank. What is the most pressing need in your life? I want you to think just for a moment, focus on that. I'm actually going to ask you just to close your eyes while I read to you these words from Jesus. Don't worry, no one's going to mess with you, okay? I, I promise. But, but I want you to focus on that need that you have in your life as you listen now to these words from Jesus. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough worry of its own. Now, you may be asking the question, what does this have to do with that? I mean, a second ago, I said we we're going to talk about prayer. 
And then I read you a scripture on worry. So maybe you're thinking, well, what's the, what's the connection here? Why, why'd, you, why'd you read these words from Jesus that talk about worry when today we're talking about prayer? And what may surprise you is in the teachings of Jesus throughout the Gospels and in the writings of the apostles that we find uh, that, that, that fill out the rest of the New Testament, whenever we find a teaching on prayer, it is often, almost always linked to this topic of worry. You almost get the sense as you move through the New Testament that according to the scriptures, you can't talk about prayer without also talking about worry. You can't really address worry without also talking about prayer, that these are linked together, which brings us to our second passage today, Philippians uh, 4, uh, beginning in verse 4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So same thing, right? Paul says, don't worry. Just as Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. Uh, look at the flowers of the field. See them in all their splendor. Does God not care more for you? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life or anything to your life? Instead, Paul says, instead of worry, we should pray. Instead of worry, we should pray. According to the New Testament, the act of worry is the exact opposite of the practice of prayer. Worry is the opposite of prayer. And, and to think about that, let's just look at what each of these things cultivate in our life. So what does worry do for you in your life? Well, worry focuses you on a negative outcome. The more you worry, the more you think about a, a particular circumstance or, or potential outcome in your life to the point of obsessing over uh, your fear that something might come to pass. Worry isolates us from one another. Have you noticed that? That as your worry increases, you naturally withdraw from others, in part because some of them will not share your worry with you. It isolates you and it increases your fear. This isn't like throwing gasoline on your fear. It's just constantly stoking the flame of that fear, keeping it uh, alive in, in your life. It encourages our need for control. The, the, the act of worry is, is the act of, of continuing to hold on tightly to the things in our life, controlling our need to control outcomes and often our need to control uh, individuals in our life. It nurtures a sense of self-centeredness. When we are worried, we see things through the lens primarily of our own experience, our own needs, our own fears. And it shrinks our vision. As we obsess over whatever it is that we are worried about, we see less of what is going on around us. The blinders come in, our world gets smaller. There are people, you may know them, you may be in this place right now where your world has shrunk so small because of how oppressive worry has become in your life. 
These are the things that are cultivated and nurtured as we worry. But what does prayer do in us? Well, prayer, as opposed to worry, prayer focuses us on a big enough God. We look up from the situation and circumstance that we are obsessing over and we focus on God. Prayer connects us with one another. And prayer nurtures, uh, rather than nurturing a, a, a fear, prayer nurtures love. Because as you pray, you, you, you begin to pray for others and you are nurtured in your love for them and the situations that they may be facing. Prayer, rather than worry, which uh, encourages us to hold on tight, prayer encourages us to release and, and to trust in God. It nurtures a sense of selflessness in us. And rather than shrinking our vision, prayer expands it. It expands the vision that we have of our own life. It expands the vision we have of others' life. It expands our vision of the world and what's going on in the world and what our role might be in the world. It, it, it removes the blinders. And we begin to see things in, in a different way. The act of worry is the exact opposite of the practice of prayer. And the reason this dynamic is important is because of how these two things exist uh, in most of our lives. For most of us, we are content to allow worry to sit right next to prayer in our life. And let me just illustrate for you what that looks like. You're worried about something. And so when you're worried about something, most of us do one of two things. Uh, uh, in the midst of the worry, the first thing that we might do is we might actually pray about the concern that we have in our life. And we really pray about it. I don't want that to sound trite. We really do pray about it. But as we get to the end of that prayer and we are nearing the amen, the worry in our life is in the starting block ready to go. And as soon as we say amen, worry takes control again. Prayer is only a, a speed bump. It's only a, 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 just a momentary pause from the worry. We, we've said our prayers. We say amen. Now we go back to what we're really good at. We go back to this whole worry thing. That's one of the things that we do. The second thing that we sometimes do, and I don't want you to think I'm picking on you, so let's just think of this as what your neighbor does, okay? The person sitting next to you does this all the time. Not you, but this is what happens. We begin to worry, and so we invite everyone in our life to pray for the worry, the concern that we have in our life. We shout it from the mountaintops, put it on Facebook, tweet it out. Everybody has to know about this need that I have in my life. I want you to pray about it. Everyone else needs to pray about it but we never do. And we sort of excuse this thinking, everyone else will take care of the prayer, I'm gonna take care of the worry. <laughs> and when prayer and worry are allowed to sit side by side in your life, worry will always win. Because you are better at worrying than you are at praying. You find that easier. Worry is easier than praying. And so when you think about that list of things that are cultivated in your life, those things that are being nurtured in your life, the fruits of prayer are not the ones that are winning in your life. It is the fruits of worry that are winning in your life. The worry that increases your fear, the worry that isolates you from others, the worry that nurtures in you a sense of self-centeredness, uh, the, the worry uh, that, that makes you live more in fear 
rather than living in faith. And so how do I pray about that? I had someone a, a, a few months ago ask me that question in, in relationship to their home. They were trying to sell their home and, the, and it just wouldn't, it wouldn't sell, which I know sounds strange in, in the market that we're in, but it was a, they have a unique uh, setting and, and they, they, they just couldn't find a buyer. How do I pray about this? And we began to talk about that. You know, tell me what you're thinking about this, how you're feeling about this. And you know what she talked about? She didn't talk about selling the house. She talked about her worry. She talked about her fear. And I just asked this question, have you prayed about that? I mean, you, you, you're, I know you're praying for the house, but have you prayed about what's, what's being churned up in your life? She said, no, I hadn't thought about doing that. Your prayer life should be attacking the worry in your life. Your prayer life, you, you should not only be intentional about praying for the things in your life that you feel called to pray for, but you also should be praying about how you feel about those things that you are praying for, what is going on in your life, which may be for you a, a, a moment of confession where you say, God, I just need to confess to you that I'm not living in faith around this. I'm living in fear. And the fear in my life is oppressive. The fear in my life is controlling me. And I want to be released from that. And so, Lord, even as I continue to pray for this need or this outcome or whatever it might be, Lord, I also want to pray that you will do in me a new work, that you will help me to be, be set free from this bondage, that you will help me when I say amen to really let this go, releasing this grip that I have on this worry in my life and trusting that you are doing good things in my life right now. You'll be doing doing good things in my life tomorrow. You'll be, good, be doing good things in my life, whatever my future might bring. And if your prayer life is not attacking the worry in your life, the worry is going to win. The worry will always, always win. That's the first principle. Here's the second. When people ask this question, how do I pray about that? Here's what they're often asking. What do I say? <laughs> and, and in asking, what do I say? They're often asking, what should I not say? <laughs> You know, like, I don't want to pray like this, like, God, I hope this is okay. I want to ask for this. I want to make sure I'm not, you know, I, I need to stay within the foul poles, Pastor. So tell me what's okay to pray for and what's not okay to pray for. Because, I mean, I don't want to make sure I don't pray for something that God doesn't want to have happen. And then God's upset with me because I've asked for the wrong thing. So what do I say and what do I not say? Well, later you can read Matthew chapter 26. In the end of chapter 26, what you'll read about is a prayer that Jesus prayed. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed after he shared the Last Supper with his disciples. The Last Supper uh, was the moment where Jesus was preparing them for what was going to come next. He was preparing them for his arrest and his trial, his condemnation, eventually his crucifixion. And between the supper that he shares with his disciples and his eventual arrest later that evening, guess what Jesus does? He prays. And in Matthew 26, here's what Jesus prays. He says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup of suffering from me. Now, he ends that prayer by saying this, not my will, but your will be done. And we sort of think like, okay, well, he made it okay in the end because he said, you know, whatever you want, God, I'm still on board with that. But I want you to pause for just a moment and think about what Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. At the moment 
of agony and pain, sorrow like we have never experienced in our own life, grief that we could not imagine. Jesus prays to God, God, would you make a way for me to be able to avoid what is the primary mission of my life? It's hard to imagine any of us asking of God something a little bit more controversial than that. God, would you make another way? After Jesus had already shared with his disciples, this is going to be the way, in this moment of frailty, in this moment of perhaps real fear, Jesus says, God, is there another way? And in Matthew chapter 26, what you will not find, you will not find God saying, oh no, oh, you can't ask for that. Jesus, what are you doing? No, that's not how this is going to work. Oh, just stop. You can't say that. You gotta, this is what you have. This is your mission. This is your, this is your purpose. This is what you have to do. This is, what, this is how we open up the door for all of the world. God doesn't say that. In fact, you may be surprised in that story, God doesn't say anything. Rather, Jesus just keeps praying. And as he prays, you just sort of get the sense as you read the story that Jesus grows in courage and an awareness that this is the way. And this is the way that I will follow. I don't know of a single scripture in the Bible that discourages us from being bold in our prayers. I mean, there's nowhere where you, hey, everyone, you need to slow down, have some more realistic expectations. As you consider your list, you know, kind of knock some things off there because you're asking for too much. That's not there. But you know what you will find all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New, Gospels, writing, all the different genres of scripture, what you will find over and over and over again is the encouragement to pray to God with boldness, to approach God with confidence, to ask of God whatever it is your heart wants to ask of God. Ask expectantly, ask with anticipation. Approach God with the confidence that Jesus has opened up the door, enabling you to live in a brand new relationship with God. That the, 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 the curtain has been torn in two. There is no longer a separate place that only one can go in uh, for, for all people at one time of the year, but the doorway has been opened for all of us. And so we approach God with boldness. We approach God with confidence. We approach God with whatever faith that we might have, faith that may be as small as, a, uh, as the smallest of seeds, but faith that Jesus says, even if it's that big, is capable of moving mountains. He said that. And so over and over again, there is this encouragement, don't hold back. Don't try to just ask for a little, ask for what your heart desires. Speak to God and speak in confidence, speak in faith, speak and pray boldly to God as if what he has promised and he has said to you repeatedly is in fact true. That's what we find over and over and over again. 
In June, we had the chance to host um, an annual conference, a gathering of Methodist churches from throughout Central Texas. Uh, one of the things that we do in that is we talk about the ministries that we share, and, and many of you know uh, that our former senior pastor, Mike Ramsdale, serves as the executive director of the ministry area that is focused on church growth, planting new churches, evangelism, expanding the reach of, reach of our churches into our communities. And as Mike was sharing about that work, he began to talk about this subject, been talking about how important it is that we pray. And he did that by telling one of your stories, a story of this church and his ministry here at this church. He was standing right here and he pointed right over there about where Beth, Beth is uh, sitting right there. He said, I'm going to tell you a story about what happened one night when I got out of bed and I came here to the church and I knelt right there. And, and, and right there wasn't like a beautiful spot in the middle of a sanctuary with walls and stained glass and lights and a beautiful roof. It was a concrete slab. That's all it was. He said, I came and I knelt and I prayed. He said, that night I prayed a prayer I'd never prayed before. In fact, it was a prayer I wasn't even sure I should pray. He said, but this church was at a place where we were taking a step that was a massive leap of faith for us. And it was a massive leap of faith that this church was taking because I had told them we need to take it. And at that moment, he, was, he found himself living in fear. Are we going to be able to do this? Is this going to be okay? I've, I've, I've told everyone this is a good idea. Is it really a good idea? Can we really do this? Can we really step into this future? Is this really, are we going to be able to do this? Lord, we need you. This was a moment where I just knew this was way beyond us and we needed God. And so there on a concrete slab, he knelt and this is what he prayed. He said, God, give us success. God, give us success. For we seek to honor you with that success. We seek to do what you have called us to do. But we need you to show up. I need you to show up. God, give us success. He said, that night I started praying differently for my church and differently for my life and differently for what God might do in my life and in the church that I was serving. God, give us success. And I tell you that because that's your story. Now there's walls and stained glass and lights and a roof. But your story is a story of a pastor on a concrete slab kneeling in submission and desperation saying, God, give us success. And maybe as you think about that pressing need that you have in your life, maybe it's just time to start praying about it a little bit differently. To start praying out of that sense of desperation and with confidence that God loves you and God cares about those things that are on your heart. That if you want to pray for God to heal your marriage, it's okay to start with God, you need to fix him because he is all messed up and it's all his fault. And maybe over the course of time, God would soften your heart and you'd see that in a little bit more broad way, but start somewhere. God, I want you to heal this marriage. God, I want you to, to do this thing in my life. God, I want you to heal my friend. I had a mom last night, she came up to me and she said, here's what I heard today. I'm gonna stop asking 
for God to give my son the desire to admit that he's an alcoholic. I'm going to start praying for God to save my son. That's what I heard tonight. It's time for me to change the way that I pray. And maybe today you might begin praying about the needs in your life in a new way. Trusting that God is at work in your life. God cares about what is on your heart. And God wants to talk to you. And what better time to do that than right now? Uh, so this is a bit of a curveball. This is a well-oiled machine that we have here, but we're going we're gonna to end the service differently. So y'all listen, because I'm changing everything, okay? I'm going to open us up with a word of prayer, and then this place is open for you to pray. I'm not going to give you a formal dismissal or a benediction. It's simply a place where you can come and pray. These, if you, if you don't know, these are kneeling rails. You can come and pray at these at any time. You, you can get up and move. It's totally fine. God would love that. We'll be here. We'd love to pray with you. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to pray about the pressing needs of your life in a new way. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, help us, Lord, to pray in faith, to pray with the boldness that you prayed to take you at your word, to trust in your grace, to be open, Lord, to the power of your spirit. So, Lord, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would break any bondage in which we are living today. That you, Lord, would break the bondage of sin and sickness. That you would break the bondage of fear and worry. That you, Lord, by the power of your spirit, would enable us today to experience a freedom that maybe we've never experienced before. Lord, we believe that you have that power. And so we ask for that. I ask for that, Lord, on behalf of my brothers and sisters. And now, Lord, we give this time to you to lift to you uh, each and every one of us, our hearts, our needs, the, the things that we would say to you if you were to ask us that question, what can we do? What can I do? Lord, we share those with you. And so in this holy place, Lord, listen, listen to the hearts of your people as they lift them up to you, as they open their lives to you.